Welcome to the Weekly Warrior Podcast, where we are forging genuine human connection through fitness, health, mindset, and nutrition. Let's get to the show with your hosts, Jared Bradford, Connor Edelbrock, and Corey Mueller. You are entering the realm of the unknown. Welcome to the Weekly Warrior Podcast. This is Jared and Corey. Hello. We're here today to record an episode for you. This is going to be ASMR Chewing with Corey and Bones. I'll go first. All right, now you go. Okay. Mine's more like a cow chewing its cud. Yeah, that's really bad. I hate that. Stop it. <laughs> Everyone has just stopped listening. <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> that was horrible. That was awesome. Sorry. I'm not sorry. Uh, yeah, we're I'm here not. again. Yeah. We're here again. We make another it episode. Fun. Oh. Uh, we're we're gonna we're gonna discuss a nice nice story. Last week we discussed Nikola Tesla, which was mm. a wonderful story, and yes. now we're kind of uh, father we're of getting... electricity. Father, father, and we're getting away from uh, inventions and into the entertainment world. Oh, okay. Entertain me. Yeah. Our story begins on May twenty second, nineteen twenty two. Christopher Frank Caradini Lee was born in Belgravia, London. He was the son of Lieutenant Colonel Geoffrey Trelopi Lee of the 60th King's Royal Rifle Corps, who fought in World War I. His mother was Countess Estelle Marie, who was painted by Sir John Lavery, Sir Oswald Burley, and sculpted by Claire Sheridan. And she had a painting and a sculpture of her? She was hot stuff. His mother's lineage can be traced directly back to Charlemagne, who is an individual who united Western and Eastern Europe way back in the day, in like literally like the year 1770s. Charlemagne was the OG of badass. Was he? I've never heard of him. Dude, yeah, Charlemagne was, he was legit. Her lineage. He united the Eastern and Western Roman empires after they broke up. Yeah, nice. Well. Her, she's related to him. We're off to a pretty solid start here. So little Lee has some good genes, and we're going to see if he can do anything with them. His parents divorced when Christopher was young, and he went to live with his mother. His mother remarried, and through this marriage, Christopher became cousins with Ian Fleming, who would later write the James Bond books. Christopher attended Wellington College, where he won scholarships and studied ancient Greek and Latin. The school was rather expensive, however. He took part in racquetball and attempted other sports, but did not do well in events such as hockey, rugby, boxing, and football. Did not do well? He did not do well. He wasn't a sport guy. It didn't work out for him. (laughs) All right. He tried. Uh, He was beaten at school. He hated (laughs) weapons training and mock battles, and he would play dead as soon as he could during them. So basically, he's out there. They did mock battle battles for some reason. It's all like it's kind of like a military school, apparently. And uh, he just, yeah, he, he just lay on the ground and play dead. 
soon as he could, first opportunity. Christopher saw his beatings as, quote, logical and therefore acceptable <laughs> punishments for not partaking in school activities. Oh so he's just like, yeah, man, deserve this. Yeah, yeah. At age 17, he left Wellington due to his stepfather going bankrupt. Bummer. His mother separated from this marriage, and this forced Lee to get a job. After a short time of traveling across the French Riviera, he joined. Uh, he returned back home to be a mail clerk. At this point, Europe was on the brink of war, World War II. Lee signed up to fight with the Finnish army against the Soviet Union in World War II. He was stationed on guard duty miles away from the front line, and he never saw combat. He later stated, quote, I knew how to shoot a gun but not how to ski. If I had been put into the front lines, I may not have survived, end quote. He returned following two weeks of service. Wow. Yeah, pretty short time. He, didn't, he, was, just, he was a guard duty, just guarding uh, the border. Lee returned to his clerk job and felt more satisfaction. He felt that he was contributing. He soon moved on to work as an office clerk before joining the home guard which was a citizen militia supporting the British Army in World War II. It was at this time that his father sadly passed away from pneumonia, which made Christopher realize he had zero interest in following his father's footsteps in the Army. So instead, he volunteered for the Royal Air Force. So I guess he felt a calling to be a part of the war, but didn't want to be in the front lines. Yeah, didn't want to fight, but he wanted to do something. Sure. Lee joined uh, and went through months of training, traveling to South Africa, putting in hours upon hours of flight training and dedication to the Air Force. He passed all of his exams and was well on his way to becoming a pilot. He was set to go on his first solo flight when he suddenly suffered a migraine and blurred vision. The medical officer hesitantly diagnosed Lee with a failed optic nerve, and he was told he would never fly again. Wow. This along with the death of his fellow friend and trainee, left Lee with nothing to do. He felt helpless. His appeals fell short. Basically, he was saying, like, no, I don't have a failed optic nerve. Like, let me fly. His appeals fell short, and in time, he joined the intelligence agency associated with the Royal Air Force. Basically, he would do a desk job that supported the Air Force pilots with intelligence on uh, enemy. He traveled throughout Europe and teamed up with several squadrons and was praised for his initiative. Well into the heat of the war, he advanced into Winston Churchill's elite special operations executive, where missions are, from what I gathered, literally still classified, but involved, uh, involved conducting espionage, sabotage, and reconnaissance in occupied Europe against the Axis powers. That's how it was described. Yep. The SOE. <laughs> the S yeah, you know, the SOE was more informally called, do you know? Uh, the SAS? What's the SAS? They're not SAS. The SA, well, SAS was British Special Forces in World War II. Mm, World okay. War II uh, as well. <laughs> this is, so the SOE was informally called the Ministry of Ungentlemanly Warfare. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, fuck, dude. <laughs> Shit. Okay. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, you're screwed if someone yeah. comes up. I'm with the Ministry of Ungentlemanly Warfare. You're screwed. You're done. You know how many anonymous henchmen like you have killed? <laughs> yeah, you're done. Uh, let's see. What is known is that he was tasked with hunting down Nazi criminals, to which he was successful as he spoke fluent in French, German, English, Italian, and uh, many other languages, which allowed him to gain intel efficiently. He would locate them, 
hunt them down, interrogate them, and then turn them over to the proper authority. That's pretty, damn, that's pretty badass. Like, you think a lot of this time you're just literally killing each other in World War II, but he, he didn't. He literally hunted them down and caught them and then turned them over. Well, yeah, like any other, any other war or battle, there's these black ops. That's basically what, what he's doing is black ops. Mm-hmm. Lee retired from the military and returned back to London in 1946. By the end of the war, he'd received commendations for bravery from the British, Polish, Czech, and Yugoslavia governments. Lee was 25 years old. It was from these days in Lee's life that inspired his cousin, Ian Fleming, to write the James Bond books. He inspired the super spy James Bond. Yeah, and he's only 25 at this point. Yeah, Christopher Lee was kind of a bad, kind of a badass. What's, what was, you're probably going to get to this, but Christopher Lee starred as a bad guy in some of Ian Fleming, in one of Ian Fleming's James Bond, one of the James Bond movies, he was the main bad guy. Yeah, what was that one? It was one of the early ones with like Roger Moore. Roger Moore was James Bond and Roger Moore was the first James Bond. So that was 60s. 60s or 70s, yeah. yeah. Okay. He was the guy with the third um, nipple. I can't remember what his bad guy name was. Oh, it, shit. He, he, was he was a really good bad guy. Oh, it's three nipples. He's after my money again. Hold on. I'm going to find it. Yeah, look it up. I want to know what all three nipple names. Yeah, Francisco Scaramanga. Yeah, sounds like he's got three nipples. Yeah, it was the man with the golden gun. Hmm. That was his nickname? Christopher Lee was, yeah, he was the main bad guy. Cool. In that. The movie name was Man with the Golden oh, Gun. Oh, I've never even heard of that. That's really old. Okay. He was offered a bank job back at his old company with a significant raise, but he declined. He was offered a teaching job, teaching classics at universities, but felt unqualified for that. It wasn't until one day that he was having lunch with his cousin, who was the Italian ambassador to Britain, when he asked Lee, why don't you become an actor, Christopher? (laughs) Christopher liked the idea, and after protests from his mother, he went and sought out a contract from a Josef Samlo who was a Hungarian film producer at the time, of his first interaction with Samlo, he said, quote, Initially, I was told by Samlo I was far too tall to be an actor, and Lee was six foot five inches. That's quite a fatuous remark to make. It's like saying you're too short to play the piano. I thought, right, I'll show you. At the beginning, I didn't know anything about the technique of working in front of a camera. But during those ten years, I did the one thing that's so vitally important today. I watched, I listened, and I learned. So when the time came, I was ready. Oddly enough, to play a character who said nothing. Christopher Lee's first breakout character was the creature from The Curse of Frankenstein, who said nothing. He initially received a seven-year contract, but had difficulty finding work. He would be in the background of many films that featured Peter Cushing, before, of course, starring alongside him in The Curse of Frankenstein. So Peter Cushing was uh, Dr. Frankenstein, and uh, Christopher Lee was who we think Frank, who is Frank, like the monster. He showed up to casting tryouts one day. They looked at him and asked, you want the part? To which he replied, yes. And that was that. The film catapulted Lee into over 30 films in the next decade, including starring in the extremely popular Dracula film. To this day, Christopher Lee's portrayal is the gold standard for Dracula. He is the image of the Dracula and brought the character into pop culture. Empire Magazine ranked Lee's portrayal of Dracula as the seventh greatest horror movie character of all time, and it's known as one of the greatest British films of all time. Did you know, I'm going to interject real quick, Peter Cushing, who, do you know who Peter Cushing is? Yes. 
he played a character in one of our favorite movies. Yeah, I know Peter Cushing is. Yeah, he played Grand Moff Tarkin, and it's just funny because they, yeah, Lee and Cushing were best yeah. friends. So I, I didn't know their relationship went back that far though. Like, yeah, really far. I had like no idea. Literally, the beginnings of Christopher Lee's uh, career can get kind of contributed to Peter Cushing because he was in the background of some of his Cushing's uh, lead roles and it's kind of progressed from there. Mm-hmm. Let's see. So yeah, he was in Dracula. There was a sequel in 1965 to which Lee has no lines. He merely hisses his way through the movie. <laughs> this is thought to be because Lee hated the poor dialogue that was given to him. But uh, the screenwriter states that no lines were given to the character to begin with. I think I believe Christopher Lee. I think he was real stubborn. So after the first Dracula, he didn't really want to continue with the character. But the subsequent movies made money. He was on record claiming that he was blackmailed into doing the films. He said, quote, the process went like this. The telephone would ring and my agent would say, Jimmy Carreras has been on the phone. They've got another Dracula for you. And I would say, forget it. I don't want to do another one. (laughs) I'd get a call from Jimmy Carreras in a state of hysteria. Quote, what's this all about? Jim, I don't want to do it. And I don't have to do it. No, you have to do it. I said, why? And he replied, because I've already sold it to the American distributor with you playing the part. Think of all the people you know so well that you will put out of work. Emotional blackmail. That's the only reason I did them. He made, uh, Lee went on to play Dracula 10 in 10 different movies. Wow. Most of those movies, he didn't speak any lines and it just left him frustrated. Basically, he was just kind of in there a little bit. They made a movie and kind of like just there's Dracula. It's like a, it's like a Marvel TV show. And then here's like some main characters yeah. here and there. Yeah. They put him in just to be like, oh, look. It's Christopher Lee as Dracula. Yeah, it's like fan service. But the only one that was good that was so celebrated was the first one. Everything after that was yeah. was from horrible. Yeah. He's frustrated with it. He went on to play Sherlock Holmes, which is pretty cool. And overall, he was in a ton of movies in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. While filming a sword fight with a drunken, this is the name, Errol Flynn, during the filming of a movie called hmm. The Dark Avengers in 1955, Flynn accidentally cut Lee's hand so badly his fingers nearly came off and permanently injured. Oh. Later, Lee cut off Flynn's wig while Flynn was still wearing it. <laughs> Flynn stormed off set and refused to come out of his trailer until Christopher Lee claimed it was an accident. <laughs> he moved to Hollywood in 1977 out of fear of being plugged as a quote, horror character. So up to this point, he's pretty much only doing horror films. One year after his move to the U.S., he was guest host on Saturday Night Live, which was surprising to everyone around him as he was not known uh, as a big guy in humor. Steven Spielberg was in the audience and cast him in his film, 1941. Don't know what that's about. Things started to move forward for him after that. He took on more and more roles, several of which were with Peter Cushing. Their final film together was in 1994, where they both heavily narrated their dialogue. Cushing would pass away two months after filming this. This brings us to the late 90s. Christopher Lee auditioned for the role of Magneto from the comic books, but lost to Sir Ian McKillen. He, of course, would later work alongside McKillen in Lord of the Rings. For decades, Christopher Lee dreamt of playing Gandalf in the movies. But by the time the movies were being made, he stated he was too old and the films required too much physicality for him. He instead settled for Saruman which was far less horse riding and far less fighting. (laughs) 
it's crazy. You can just be like, yeah, I'll take Saruman. Like you're going to the checkout aisle, and like, yeah, I'll have that instead. You know, yeah. he was. Did you know that Christopher Lee was the only cast member or yeah. uh, like crew member that actually met and talked to Tolkien himself? Man, you must have like a a copy of this in front of you. That's like my next sentence. Oh, no, it's cool. I mean, yeah, <laughs> he did. He was the only one that knew J.R. Uh, Tolkien out of anyone yeah. that worked on the. And film. he got permission to play. Tolkien wanted him to play Gandalf. Right. That was, yeah. That, that was how that it was. Went. That was uh, apparently the story. He he always dreamt of playing Gandalf. Tolkien wanted him to play him, but by the time they were being mm-hmm. filmed, he was just too old. He was in his eighties or something. And we all know Gandalf. Uh, yeah. Lots of running, lots of sword fighting, and all that. So it had been too much yeah. for him. Yeah. Because Ian McKellen was uh, when when they filmed the original Lord of the Rings trilogy, he was early 50s um and then when he when they did the hobbit obviously he was like in his 70s well, it's crazy because he was ian mckillen was pretty young back then and now and then obviously uh uh vito vito morganson right yeah aragorn yeah vigo vigo yeah vigo he was young but now vigo they're like something there was like a meme or whatever like last year like vigo morrison is now as old as sir ian mckillen when he played gandalf and i'm like dude what the f-? isn't that crazy <laughs> yeah like stop Stop telling me things like that. Yesterday, I think it was yesterday, was the 20th anniversary of the Fellowship of the Ring releasing. Hmm. That's crazy. Yeah. I remember seeing it for the first time in theaters. Yeah. I was so little. Was down there. Yeah, yeah, but anyway. Man, Christopher Lee was fantastic at Saruman, though. He was... Yeah, he played he him. really brought that perfect. character to life, yeah. Especially if you read the books. Like, once you read the books and you hmm. see his character in the... He understood the assignment. <laughs> yeah, he got it. And he was really one to get into his character's... Oh, yeah. Uh, and yeah. He, he became them. Like, you don't see Saruman without seeing Christopher Lee, as similar as you don't see Dracula without seeing Christopher Lee. Um, and if, you, if you've never seen Dracula, I've never seen it, but I saw a screenshot of him. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's Dracula. Like, I've, I've seen that image before. Like, it's, that's it. He looks like Dracula, yeah. On all the movie posters, and yeah. Yeah, he was, he was the only one to meet uh, Tolkien out of anyone who worked. He provided a lot of good insight to the characters. Uh, he read the novels at least once a year. His part in Lord of the Rings marked a significant career revival for Lee. He rode this wave into playing Count Dooku in Star Wars. He played Willy Wonka's dentist father uh, with Johnny Depp, and he voiced in Corpse Bride. He was a huge fan of Tim Burton, and he would feature in several, several of his popular films. It was at this time that Christopher Lee was appointed a commander of the Order of the British Empire for, quote, services to drama. He was also labeled by USA Today most remarkable star in the world after three of his films grossed over $640 million in 2005. Didn't hurt that he was in Lord of the Rings and Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, I was like, man, what was going on? What was the on? third I one? Like, I don't know. I don't know. Well, because he was in Fellowship of the Ring. He was in Two Towers. He was in Return of the King in, a, in deleted scenes. And then Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith. I don't know. I don't know what else he was in. Honestly, it may have been a case of like, Okay, Star Wars earned earned like three hundred yeah. million. Lord of the right. Rings earned like three hundred, and something else earned like right. four forty or whatever. You know, do the math. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know. In two thousand nine, he became Sir Christopher Lee by being knighted by Prince Charles. Lee's first contract with heavy metal music came by a singing duet with Fabio Leone, lead vocalist of the Italian power metal band Rhapsody of Fire, on the single "The Magic of the Wizard's Dream." That's awesome. I need to listen to that song. <laughs> yeah, it gets better. 
He later appeared as a narrator and backing vocalist on the band's four albums, and this is these are their names. They're great, so I have to say them. Symphony of Enchanted Lands 2, The Dark Secret, Triumph or Agony, The Frozen Tears of Angels, and From Chaos to Eternity, as well as the EP, The Cold Embrace of Fear, a dark romantic symphony where he portrayed the Wizard King. Those are awesome. The song Jingle Hell propelled Lee onto the Billboard Hot 100 <laughs> at number 22, thus becoming the second oldest living performer to ever enter the music charts. He was 91 years and six wow. months old, making <laughs> death metal. That's fantastic. Isn't it great? I have to hear those. I have to hear the songs. It still gets better. After media attention, the song rose to number 18. We'll get into more of what he did with... He did more music, but he... Uh, yeah, he was kind of at this point just like appearing and he did like this one single cover on Jinga Hell. It gets better, but well, like always, we'll put a pin in that. Lee soon expressed disdain that Hollywood scripts were mo- almost entirely rewrites or spin-offs of established storylines. Studios were too scared to take a risk due to the potential financial loss. Lee claimed that he was mainly being offered spin-off roles for Count Dooku and Saruman. Which, I mean, he was in... The 2008 animated movie, that the Clone Wars movie, he voiced Count Dooku. Mm. I think he may have done one season of the TV show, The Clone Wars. And then he was Saruman again in The Hobbit. Yeah, we're, I mean, the, Hobbit the Hobbit trilogy. I believe. I mean, he came. he's from like the yeah. old school Hollywood. He, he was still doing a lot of small budget and like little things. But Was he on Broadway? Was he a Broadway actor? Probably. Because I know Ian McKellen is a big, like, he does a lot of yeah, plays. right. I didn't know if Christopher Lee. From what I gathered, I, I never, dude. I never learned anything about Broadway with him. But he, I mean, he probably okay. did, probably could have. He did a lot of voiceover work. His voices, if you guys know who Christopher Lee is, his voice is just yeah, yeah, iconic. Yeah. That being said, like you, like you said, in 2011, he reprised his role as Saruman for the Hobbit films. He would have loved to show Saruman's downfall and corruption by Sauron. This was all from him. He wanted to show this, but. At his age, he was uncomfortable flying to New Zealand for principal filming. He practiced for four days, and then the studio came to him in Britain, uh, where he filmed his scenes. Yeah, because he was really old when that... I mean, he was very old at that point. I remember watching that movie, and he looks... He still gives a great performance, but he's mostly sitting down. Or, Mm -hmm. like, he just just looks kind of old. Yeah, he's just sitting. I mean, 92 at this point. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's right. He was like ninety-two. He was like ninety-one, ninety-two. Old. He's an old dude. And uh, yeah, he practiced for four days. He couldn't just get into the character because Saruman at this point was different because he wasn't totally corrupted yet. He was. He was the White Wizard. He was who he was supposed to be. So he had to practice, but it only took him a couple days to get it. And uh, in 2012, Lee appeared in his final collaboration with Tim Burton. He had worked alongside Burton and therefore Johnny Depp. For many years and was saddened to hear that Depp had considered retiring from acting. This is interesting. He said, quote, There are frustrations, people who lie to you, people who don't know what they are doing, films that don't turn out the way you had wanted them to. So yes, I do understand why Depp would consider retiring. I always ask myself, well, what else could I do? Making films has never been just a job to me. It's my life. I have some interests outside of acting. I sing and I've written books, for instance. But acting is what keeps me going. It's what I do. It gives life purpose. I'm realistic about the amount of work I can get at my age, but I take what I can, even voiceovers and narration. End quote. 
Lee released, here we go, here's the music. Lee released a third EP of death metal covers in May 2014 called Metal Night to celebrate his 92nd birthday. Wow. So he played Sauron. Sauron. He was like 88. Sar- he, he played Sauron. He was like 88, yeah. 89-ish. Um, and he released this EP at 92. He remixed popular songs from the past from artists such as Frank Sinatra. His fourth EP and third annual Christmas release came in December 2014 as he put out Darkest Carols Faithful Sing, a playful take on Hark the Herald Angels Sing. I don't know what movie that is, actually, or what song Hark the Herald, but I'm sure it's a popular. Hark the Herald Angels Oh! The newborn okay, well, yeah, yeah, it's a death metal song now by Christopher Lee. <laughs> <laughs> a 92-year-old Christopher Lee. <laughs> Fantastic. He said about the EP, It's lighthearted, joyful, and fun. At my age, the most important thing for me to do is keep active. By doing things that I truly enjoy, I do not know how long I am going to be around. So every day is a celebration, and I want to share it with my fans. Yeah, good way to look at it. I like it. Lee continued accepting work, including voiceover work for DC Comics. One month before his death, he accepted a starring role with an ensemble cast in the film The 11th, which was set to begin filming in August. This was a movie about September 11th. His final film was, ironically, a comedy titled Angels in Notting Hill about an angel that falls in love with a human being in New York. It was released in 2016. In truth, Lee loved comedies, though he was well known for his role in horror films, but he loved comedies. He grew to dislike the horror genre, stating that they became dangerous and physically repellent. For instance, Dracula was a fantasy and cannot be recreated. But... Hannibal Lecter was a character that people could see on film and draw praise to. And for that, he viewed the New Age horror as dangerous. Sir Christopher Lee... Not wrong. He's not wrong. I mean, yeah, we don't need to go into it. He's not wrong. A lot of the the New Age horror is just kind of gross for the sake of being fucking gross and for shock value, and there's no real substance. So, anyways. Sir Christopher Lee passed away in hospital on June 7th, 2015, from heart failure and respiratory distress. He was 93 years old. He is in the 2007 Guinness Book of World Records for most on-screen credits at 244 film and TV appearances. Wow. He made 14 more films after that. Mm. He also stars in the most films with a sword fight at 17. He was made a commander of the Venerable Order of St. John in 1997 made a Commander of the Order of Arts and Letters by the French government in 2011, earned the British Academy of Film and Television Arts Fellowship in 2011. He received the Bram Stoker Award for Lifetime Achievement in 1994. That's a big one. He won an award for his death metal album in 2010, (laughs) and quite literally, there are too many other awards and recognitions to mention here, as dude lived one hell of a life. He lived, like, multiple lives. He really did. One life, yeah. I mean, the death metal thing, I never knew. I, I knew a, a decent amount about Christopher Lee, but I never knew about death metal. Yeah. <laughs> That's it's ridiculous. Wild. And it's, you think like, oh, this is like an interest throughout his whole life. No. Dude was late 80s. Yeah, right, 80s. exactly. <laughs> I have to listen to it. I have to listen to it. You can't, no one is, picks that up or even produces and yeah. releases things. Like, right. But like knowing who Christopher Lee is, his voice, just by hearing his voice, I'm like, yeah, death. I could probably buy. He's probably pretty good at that. Yeah. I don't know. 
and then like judging from where he he came from with his parents like his mom was his like kind of entertainer in a way being painted and sculpted but his dad was like this army dude and yeah and then he got into acting because yeah someone asked him if he wanted to yeah he really like created some lovable characters i mean count dooku in the star wars universe the, it, he got nicely fleshed out with the clone wars and all that but like he brought the perfect i don't know personality to that character same with saruman though like he was so good at that and those are the two roles that i recognize him the most in but i mean even the man with the golden gun without even thinking about it i knew i was like that christopher lee was in a james bond movie like he was a bond villain the man with the golden gun that's one of the best bond movies ever made he was uh he was a great actor and he was old school like you said he was very classically trained and he believed in there was a there was a sense of honor you know what i mean in the in the way that he went about his acting yeah, business. There was substance to it. And it was he tried exactly, to yeah, bring, bring a substance. sense of, That's a bring a word, sense of yeah. realism to it, yes. right? Yeah. I say that because he did a lot of fantasy. Right. Right. So he did Lord of the Rings and Dracula. And, but he tried to bring as much like yeah. general realism into it. Like so that you've seen the deleted scene with Peter Jackson where he's like Peter Jackson tells him how to react when he gets stabbed from behind in Return of the King. He's yeah. like, no, no, Peter, you don't understand. That's not you don't he <laughs> like tells him when you get stabbed you don't screech out and scream in pain. Your breath gets taken from you yeah, because he yeah. knows because he yeah. saw people die. A lot of people die. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he talked about his time in the army too. And it's like, he kind of had to form a shell. And he understood mm. yeah, the, the different, the distinction between realism and Hollywood, I guess too. Uh, he was someone who, when he was younger, he saw the final public execution in France of a, of a like a serial killer, and from that he was like, got really interested in like executions and stuff and, and serial killers, and then like that like reflected later in his life where he's like, okay, the horror films are like praising these people, and that's really dangerous. Um, so it's kind of a he, had, he was an interesting guy, really really cool mm-hmm. overall, well known for Saruman and Count Dooku and. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Excellent movies. If you it's a shame that. we didn't get more Sauron because he did so good with that character. Yeah, there was a story about him and Peter Cushing. They were on set one time uh, on one of their movies, yeah. and they like they would be caught like telling jokes to each and laughing and giggling and messing around with each other like little schoolboys yeah. having a good time. Yeah, and Peter Cushing like he's a. I don't think people these days know Peter Cushing as well, but he was a super popular actor again in star Wars, he brought a lot of realism and grounding to the character that he portrayed. Like Tarkin is still to this day. I mean, he's one of the most well-known star Wars characters Mm -hmm. and he brought that kind of like gravitas to the, to it. So having these two guys and then you hear the story, they're fucking around and (laughs) you know what I mean? Just having fun. Peter Cushing wore slippers on set when he, (laughs) cause he's like, these shoes are, we don't got them. I'm wearing slippers. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they both added a sense of I think the biggest thing is they both had a total sense of realism to their characters that yeah. even in these like crazy fantasies. I don't know. They were excellent. And uh yeah. That's my story. Sticking to it. Hey, so if you're still sticking with us, speaking of stories, I'm gonna tell you a story. Make sure you go to Apple Podcasts, Facebook even. 
to leave us a rating and a review. The more ratings and reviews we get, the more visible we are, the bigger audience we have, and the more motivated we stay to put out awesome content, because I think everyone can agree the last multiple weeks have been fantastic. So make sure you do that, please, and thank you. And you can see Corey's beard more and my mustache more. I'm about to shave. All right. Well, I think I think that's good. Bye-bye. Bye. Christopher Lee's great. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.